Welcome to Coffee Talk with Montessori Moms in the Wild. This is a segment where we will either circle back to a topic we want to unpack some more, share something we're struggling with personally, or give you a little tip to support you through your Montessori journey at home. Sometimes all of the above. If you're busy like us and only have a short amount of time to spare between school pickups, commuting to work, or just juggling the chaos of life in general, and you're looking for something short and sweet to listen to, these episodes are for you. All right, let's get into it. Hello, everyone. My name is Laura. I'm a mother of two, and I have my Montessori training in elementary one and two, or lower and upper elementary, which covers ages six through 12. I am going to be talking about the fourth trimester, a term used to describe the importance of the first 12 weeks or so after a baby is born. Though a quick Google search will yield countless resources on this topic, I will be using a book written by a doctor and former AMI Director of Assistance to Infancy Program. Since we are a Montessori-focused podcast, and because it is genuinely the resource that I personally relied on in preparing for parenthood. So I'm excited to get into that. But first, a word about our sponsors for today's Coffee Talk, Cure Hydration. Did you know that dehydration is the leading cause of daytime fatigue? I was shocked to learn that even mild dehydration can cause headaches, muscle weakness, and brain fog. But luckily, there's a solution, Cure. The packets are convenient and easy to use. Just mix with water and drink. They're perfect for on-the-go travel or anytime you need a quick and effective hydration boost. Hydration is more than just drinking water. That's what Lauren Picasso, a lifelong endurance athlete, discovered as she struggled to stay hydrated no matter how much water she drank. Lauren founded Cure, a science-backed electrolyte drink mix to make hydration easy for everyone. Driven by a desire to offer a better alternative than sugar-laden sports drinks, Lauren collaborated with medical experts to develop a plant-based, vegan, and no-sugar-added electrolyte powder that hydrates as effectively as an IV drip, since it is an ORS, oral rehydration solution. The product is designed to provide a healthier and more natural hydration solution for athletes, travelers, and busy individuals who are constantly on the go. Today, Cure is on a mission to help people stay hydrated and feel their best without compromising on quality, taste, or sustainability. Cure believes that hydration should be simple and effective, but also clean and natural. That's why they use only the highest quality plant-based ingredients and avoid any artificial or harmful additives. They're committed to transparency and honesty. All of their ingredients are clearly listed on their website and packaging, and they're always happy to answer any questions or concerns. Try Cure today and feel the difference for yourself. Use the code Montessori Moms for 25% off your order. You can also find the link in our show notes. All right. So like I said, today I want to talk about the idea of the fourth trimester of pregnancy slash birth. This was something I never heard of before pretty late in pregnancy with my first child. Pregnancy has three trimesters, hence the prefix tri. I knew that. But this concept that there could be the sort of external trimester and the importance of what is happening in those first 12 weeks on the outside of the mother was something I learned about thanks largely to a book that was recommended to me by a fellow Montessorian. Of all the books that people recommend, and if you've been through this journey, you know people come out of the woodworks with all kinds of recommendations. This one had my attention because I have immense respect for this woman who recommended it. This lady is amazing. She was my co-teacher's teaching partner before I joined the school, 
And when she stepped away to have her own children, she stayed close friends with my co-teacher and eventually became my friend as well. She's originally from Italy, so I could listen to her talk all day. And on top of just being a wonderful human being, she's a hardcore Montessorian who really walks the walk, even outside of the classroom. She told me when she was pregnant, there was this one book that she treated as her Bible. As a gift, she bought a copy for me because hers was covered in highlighter and notations and dog-eared pages. That's how much she studied this thing. The book is called Understanding the Human Being, and it was written by Dr. Silvana Quattrochi Montanaro. Now, I'm willing to bet that most listeners, like myself, before I was given the book, have never heard of her. So I'm going to read the about the author blurb on the back of the book to establish her street cred here on this highly prestigious Montessori podcast. Silvana Quattrochi Montanaro was a medical doctor who specialized in psychiatry. In 1955, she was asked to join the AMI Assistant to Infancy Training Program, where she taught child neuropsychiatry, hygiene, and nutrition. In 1968, she began focusing on preparing prospective parents to meet the physical and psychological needs of children's development. She was the training professor of neonatal psychopedagogy at the School of Psychosomatic and Psychoprophylaxis of Obstetrics, neonatology and gynecology in Cristo Rey Hospital in Rome. She held workshops all over Europe, the U.S., Mexico, and Japan. Dr. Montanaro passed away in 2018. All right. So I do want to note before I get into the book that if you yourself decide to seek out this book and read it cover to cover, because I'm really only going to discuss a very small portion here, and it's jam-packed with information, First of all, I just checked Amazon and I had no idea that it is as expensive as it is. Like you can maybe find it used for $95. That's crazy. Some new copies are going for high 300s. I mean, if the pages ain't gilded and solid gold, get out of here with that kind of price. So again, I got it as a gift. I'm certainly not saying that you have to run out and buy this book. However, if you do where you maybe get it as a gift or you find it in a library. And I do think I actually found a, an audio book version of it that you could kind of rent from a digital library. So that was kind of cool. Either way, it is worth noting that some things are arguably a bit dated. This book was originally published in 1987, I think in Italian, and then in 1991 in English. And some of the things that she seems to kind of harp on, I feel are already changing for many of our modern pregnancy and birth experiences. The tone is definitely reflective of a doctor slash author working at a time and in an environment where birth had become largely medicalized and sterilized. And a very common attitude towards newborns and infants was basically that they were just little blobs to be kept in a bassinet or some other kind of contraption that really just serves to keep them safe and on the sidelines until they're big enough to interact with. If it cries, shove something in its mouth or rattle something loudly in its face. It seemed to be kind of a novel idea at this time that babies actually have a lot going on and they need the adults in their lives to understand that and interact with them intentionally. Dr. Montanaro's aim in writing this book was to educate parents to be as part of the crucial step of preparing the parent, something that we ourselves have a whole episode on. 
Early on in the book, she acknowledges that caring for an infant, this little creature that's born without the ability to do pretty much anything for itself, namely the functions of moving itself and feeding itself, can be frustrating and confusing. She says, quote, a better understanding will help parents do the right thing with children from the very beginning. And I do agree that taking the time to learn even just a little bit about the development of the human brain in the first few years of life has been a game changer in my approach to parenting. So what does Dr. Montanaro say about these early weeks of life and what I have referred to as the fourth trimester? Well, in the second chapter of her book, Dr. Montanaro introduces the term extrogestation, which basically is a necessary continuation of the gestation period of a human being that occurs outside of the womb. She actually considers this time to be not just the first three months of life, but the first eight or nine, or really however long it takes your baby to be able to ingest real solid human food of the environment outside of just milk or formula, and also to be able to move independently away from its caregivers, whether that be crawling or scooting or whatever that looks like for your child. I found her explanation of why humans are born so seemingly ill-equipped for actually surviving without the constant support of another to be fascinating. I think it explains what's going on during this time and the immense significance of a period of life that I've heard many educated people claim is difficult and generally uninteresting. I would like to read that page from her book instead of trying to just pull quotes, because if you're not new here, you already know brevity is not my forte, and I feel like you need all of the context. So I'm going to go ahead and sub out the word mother in her writing for caregiver, because I am aware that we have listeners who aren't mothers or even the biological parent of their children that they love and care for. So I want to be inclusive of everyone out there doing this hard work. Okay, so on the topic of why babies are born so seemingly useless, she writes, we can ask ourselves why the human fetus leaves the womb before being completely ready for the external world. The answer can be found in the enormous size of the cerebral cortex. After nine months, the fetus's head reaches the size of the mother's pelvis, and for this vital reason, the child must come out. This may seem to be a disadvantage although it becomes a precious occasion for a second gestation. This time with the caregiver's arms as a container and with the caregiver's breast as the placenta and umbilical cord, or I'm going to also sub in whatever food source you're giving your child, whether it be breast milk or formula. In addition to a very clear biological necessity, there's also an important psychological reason for extra gestation. The human newborn, while still being supported by the caregiver, is capable of entering into and participating in a wider and richer human environment. The child can thus receive more stimulation and develop its human potential. The child's large brain can begin to absorb the external environment more directly and continue its education literally in a more stimulating way. Only humans are capable of walking on two feet and articulating a language. These two characteristic abilities are acquired only by experiencing them directly. The child is deprived of the chance to observe people walking and does not hear language being spoken. He or she will never get beyond the motor skills of other mammals and will never use the wonderful mechanism that produces the human voice. Such a child would be in the position of someone who has a beautiful piano but never learns how to play it. 
Thus, we should really consider the first nine months after birth as an external pregnancy, a continuation and completion of the first internal pregnancy. During this period, the caregiver continues to help the child, introducing it to the new world and assisting it with the acquisition of these special skills available to all human beings. Life can only continue, both biologically and psychologically, if at least one adult is ready to assist the life in the sense of protecting it and offering all that is necessary to facilitate its growth. As Maria Montessori taught, an education from birth is a necessary aid to life. So Dr. Montanaro then continues on in the third chapter to talk about the symbiotic life of the first six to eight weeks, which is, I guess, closer to the time frame I was talking about of kind of the first 12 weeks, that immediate three-month span after birth, in which she discusses this monumental importance of connecting with the newborn through holding, handling, and feeding. Now, I will say she really, really harps on the importance of breastfeeding specifically, and I agree with that, but I do know firsthand that this is not necessarily as simple and straightforward as she makes it seem, and so it could potentially be a triggering topic depending on your own journey with feeding. So I do want to focus instead on the importance of how we hold and handle our babies. In terms of holding newborns, she writes, holding. This simple act of the caregiver keeping the child in their arms can vary greatly. Everything depends on the caregiver's feelings towards the child. The body contact in holding tells the child about the caregiver's acceptance and attitude and can provide great reassurance, which will facilitate the passage to this new environment. And for handling, she writes, this is the way in which we use our hands when dressing, changing, bathing, and giving the child the care it needs. All these actions require the caregiver's positive emotional involvement. When the caregiver uses their hands for affectionate exchanges with the child, they become an occasion for the child to gain knowledge about himself or herself and about the surrounding world. Okay, so I just want to quickly state there that what I'm gleaning from that is that newborns kind of feel your vibe, right? So kind of important to check that. Easier said than done, because I also get that during the newborn stage, you are so tired and just depleted, and it's easy to want to rush through things and maybe to feel a little bit spicy or prickly. And so I think it's just worth noting that they are more aware of that than we give them credit for. And maybe you can kind of dig in there and find a little compassion for yourself and for them at this time. And then I also just want to share an excerpt from the end of that chapter, which Dr. Montanaro closes with, during the symbiotic period, we can be overly responsive. And as a result, the child will be without the experience of asking and receiving. Alternatively, we can be unresponsive or not respond promptly enough, giving the child the negative impression that the environment does not answer his needs. A lack of appropriate responses to the newborn's expressed needs can have the consequence of impeding the growth of basic trust and of depriving the growing child of the security needed to develop with the joy of optimism. Now, that part stuck out to me because I do think that there's a lot of different information out there and different messaging out there about interacting with a baby too much or coddling a baby, you know, spoiling a baby, etc., So what I'm getting from all of that combined is that babies are incredible. There is so, so much going on in there. 
so many immensely complicated and challenging tasks and concepts are being absorbed and practiced, unknown and unseen to our untrained eyes. When we completely take them for granted in our advanced stage of development, we don't even remember the work that we had to do to get here. They are so extremely in tune to us. Their job is to study us and to know us in ways that we don't even know ourselves. We are literally showing them how to be humans. They not only want, they need to be held, handled, talked to, involved in, or at least able to observe the goings-on of the humans around them, and then to be given enough space and time to develop the abilities to join us in our humanness. So there can be a lot of anxiety for a first-time parent about whether or not you're touching them too much, coddling them too much, like I said earlier, right, et cetera, et cetera. This book clearly states to me that rushing them through to a state of independence from you is not necessary and really not helpful. Now, as for my own personal experience with this topic, going through the fourth trimester or extra gestation for the second time has looked a little different for me. Like I said, I read this book before I became a parent, and it really guided much of how I interacted with my daughter in terms of how hard I worked to make sure that I was capitalizing on all of that development, making sure that all of her waking hours were as enriching as possible. So I think between now having more experience under my belt and doing this podcast, honestly, where I'm constantly reminded of the parts of the philosophy that I've maybe been lacking or forgetting about, This time I've put equal focus into the importance of being quieter or even silent, slowing down more and respecting and trusting that his unique internal timeline will unfold on its own. I put so much emphasis on practicing those language development skills and doing things like sports casting with my first child that I honestly probably accidentally interrupted and broke her concentration more than I intended. I just wanted so much to enrich every experience for her and to help her understand it that I forgot how valuable it is to just let a baby stare at its hands in wonder and in silence. I also often found myself rushing through things in terms of the handling part of it, right? Trying to get as much done as possible with the little time that I felt that I had to do it. And though it's a parental badge of honor to figure out the most efficient way to tackle this massive job, Sometimes our babies are trying to tell us to slow down. I get that now, but I would get so anxious when my daughter took a short nap or I ended up nap trapped right under her with her on my chest, the only place she would sleep when she woke up early from a nap. But I had planned to do 8,000 loads of laundry and finally vacuum the stairs and so on and so forth. This time, I'm taking my time. And if I end up spending an unplanned 20 minutes snuggling a baby who woke up scared and confused because he hasn't figured out how to bridge his sleep cycles yet, and the only thing that comforts him is rocking on my chest and listening to my heartbeat, well, then I'm going to savor each minute of that. The laundry really can wait. Babies don't keep. They grow up so fast. I remember the moment that I realized my daughter would never take a nap neatly tucked on my chest again. And I promised myself I wouldn't take one second of that for granted should I be lucky enough to have a second baby. And lastly, it's easy as a parent, especially as a first-time parent, to get sucked into that vicious trap that is comparing your child to everyone else's and stressing about how and when they will hit each milestone. 
I would argue as an educator, it's something that one can be even more concerned with, almost obsessed with. As many of you know, Rachel, Megan, and I all had our first children within days of each other. And I will admit, I spent a lot of wasted time worrying that one of their kids or both of their kids were doing something that mine wasn't yet. Time after time, she showed me that she would do whatever the thing was that I was worried about on her own time when she was good and ready. And there were countless things that I could maybe encourage or influence, but never control. I used to wonder how siblings in the same family with the same parents and whatnot could all turn out so drastically different. But I understand now that on top of being inherently unique due to the unique cocktail of genetic traits that each human is born with, really each child is born into a different family than the last one was or the next one will be. A family whose dynamic was changed both by the birth of this child and by the experiences the caregivers have accumulated up to that point. I'm a different parent now to my son than I was three years ago when my daughter was born, and that's how it should be. Okay, everybody, I'm going to start to try to wrap it up because we did promise that these coffee talks would be short. And this is something I could probably talk about for hours and hours, comparing every little difference between my experiences and finding more quotes from the book. But let me just sum it all up by saying that the fourth trimester is insanely important. As always, I do assure you that there will be monumental growth and development for your child, regardless of how you approach it. But I do hope that I have inspired you to learn a little bit more about it and maybe treat newborns and infants with a little bit more reverence and respect than they usually get. There is a lot going on in there, y'all. Respect it. Encourage it. Maybe even try to enjoy it. I also want to say that you may or may not get snarky comments or pushback from people around you on this one. People who will make you feel like you need to put that baby down. Let it cry. It's a baby. That's what they do. I myself was in the hospital with my son in the hours following his birth. And I remember one nurse coming in to find that I had removed him from the hospital, provided bassinet so he could rest on my chest. The only place that he didn't seem scared and uncomfortable. Everything was literally brand new to him. And she told me, you should have just left him in the bassinet. He's going to get used to that and he's going to be so spoiled. I just smiled as politely as I could and told her, I'm not worried about it. You can't spoil a baby. You can understimulate and you can overstimulate, but you can't spoil a baby, especially not by touching them, loving them and helping them feel safe in an otherwise terrifying new world. All right. That is going to do it for me, folks. Oh, sorry. One more thing. This is actually our last episode for a few weeks. We're going to take some time off for the summer break due to fairly busy summer schedules. Stay tuned to our Instagram account to hear more about when we will be returning with new episodes. In the meantime, thank you for joining me for this week's Coffee Talk. I cannot help but continue to pay homage to the SNL skit whose name we stole for this series. So... I'll leave you to talk amongst yourselves. I'll give you a topic. Pineapples. Neither pines nor apples. Discuss. Thank you for listening to Montessori Moms in the Wild. If you have a topic you're interested in, you can send us a request on Instagram at Montessori Moms in the Wild or email us at Montessori Moms in the Wild at gmail.com. If you're enjoying these coffee talks, please follow and leave us a review. Until next time, stay wild.